Good evening, everybody. It's time for us to get started. We want to thank you all for being with us tonight for this year's edition, 2017 edition of the Community Bible Study. This is actually year seven of our Community Bible Study and the fourth year that we've had it here at the, at the Memorial Building. Uh, and many look forward to this every year, and you obviously uh, see an importance in such things that brings you here, and we commend you for that. Thanks for being with us tonight. We'll also be continuing here tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. The Community Bible Study is conducted each year by the College View Church of Christ here in Columbia. We meet on Hampshire Pike just out west of town, right across from Columbia State Community College on Hampshire Pike. Uh, we'd love for you to visit us there at any of our regular worship and Bible study periods. This year our topic is an important one. We try to choose a topic each year that we think is very important in our culture, in our world, with spiritual implications, and this year is certainly that. We're going to be talking for the next two nights, tonight and tomorrow night, about the plague of pornography, which we think is an ever-increasing problem in our society. Uh, we think we need to be informed. We need the truth. We need to know about it in the light of God's Word. To teach us this year, Art Adams has come from all the way up in northern Indiana near South Bend, drove all day today to get here to join us. Art has lots of credentials. Uh, he is certified counselor in many realms, um, master social worker, licensed clinical social worker, licensed clinical addictions counselor, certified alcohol and drug addiction counselor, nationally certified parenting evaluator, a nationally certified child evaluator, internationally certified in addiction counseling, and all of that. I think Art would agree if I tell you all of those things that, that he has credentials in. Uh, the most important title he has is Gospel Preacher, and we look forward to hearing about this important problem uh, as a Gospel Preacher who also knows how to counsel people with, with addiction problems, how he uh, will approach that and teach us uh, for the next two nights. Just a little bit of, of uh, uh, housekeeping, I guess we might say. Obviously, observe the exits. There's an exit there that goes out to the front of the building, an exit here that goes out to the back. We hope we don't have any kind of emergencies, but identify those uh, if we do. If you need restrooms, they are in the back, in the back corner, back through that back door are restrooms uh, that are accessible. Now, also, because this year's topic is a rather sensitive one, um, uh, the thinking is that maybe some of the youngest children might, they might, some of the things we'll be talking about might not be totally appropriate for some of the youngest children. So some of the women from the College View Church have made a plan to hold a Bible class for those. And we're, you parents use your discretion. We're saying 10 years old and younger. Uh, if you have kids in that age group, uh, it, it might well be best if you would send them to Bible class tonight and rather than to sit here uh, in the auditorium and, and hear this rather sensitive subject. So the ladies are standing there in the back, and we're going to ask you right now, if you will, if you've got kids and you want them to go to that Bible class, it's going to be held in this upper room. You can see through those glass windows there where the room is where they'll be conducting this Bible class. If you'll send your kids to the back, uh, and, and the ladies who are there and ready will help them go to Bible class. So let's do that right now.
All right, they're going to have a good Bible class. They've got a lot of kids. That'll be great. All right. Um, as you were coming in, you were given a card that looks like this. Uh, it has a couple of important purposes that we want you to use. One is in the blank middle section. As we are studying together tonight, if questions come to your mind, if you have some question that you'd like to ask Art Adams, if you'll write that out uh, and have that ready, when the presentation is ended, we'll collect those cards. We'll take just a brief five-minute intermission, and then we'll have uh, Art Adams to answer those questions that you have submitted. So use this card for that purpose. Now also, we'll make CDs of the audio from these two nights available, and if you'd like to receive a CD of the, of the audio of these presentations, if you'll write your name and address uh, there at the bottom, uh, and just indicate that you want the CDs. We'll get those in the mail to you just as soon as we can, and that's all free of charge. We won't, we, we'll cover the cost for all that. Don't worry about that. But if you'd like the CDs, use the bottom of that card to write your name and address so we can get those to you. Now, I'm trying to think if I've left anything out. Again, we're very grateful for you all uh, being here tonight. Look forward to our study together. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Father in heaven, we love you, dear Father, and thank you for all the blessings of life that you give us, uh, more than we can even count, Father. We are so blessed. We thank you for sending your Son, Jesus, to be a sacrifice for our sins, that we might have the hope of eternity in heaven through obedience uh, by the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you for this occasion that brings us together tonight for this community Bible study. Uh, we pray that you'll be with us as we look to your word for important truths about a very sensitive subject. We pray for Brother Adams that you'll be with him as he teaches us. Help us to think soberly. Help us pay close attention. Help us listen with an ear toward making application in our lives. Bless us, Father, always in seeking to know and do your will. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Adams. Well, good evening. It's good to see each of you here tonight. And they're controlling the volume, I think. Uh, good to see each of you. And I'm going to get used to being up here on stage. I don't usually have a stage to perform on. Uh, but good to, good to have you out tonight. It speaks a lot for you, your faith, and your interest in this particular subject. I, uh, I'm going to talk very plainly tonight. I will try not to be vulgar or off-color in any way. And yet I'm going to, by the nature of the topic... I'm going to have to talk about some things that, uh, that are rather explicit. Um, you know, one of the most dangerous things that you can give your kid is one of these. That statement was made in a presentation. This is a cell phone. That statement was made in a presentation over in North Carolina where they had 20 different experts on addictions counseling that were there in Billy Graham country, and there, that was their statement by every one of the presenters. Because with this, you give your child and yourself access to the entire world. And you give the world access to, to your family member. We could take that even further and talk about, uh, about, uh, the internet 
about, about computers and about any digital device. And the simple truth is that we can go to heaven without a computer. We can go to heaven without a cell phone. But we can sure lose heaven because we misuse the different devices that are popular in our day and time. And so what I want to talk about with you tonight is the topic of pornography. And no, there are not pictures with this. Uh, but we do have some slides. There was a study done by the Barna Group, which is a very conservative religious group uh, associated with, uh, with Baptists and some of the Billy Graham movements and so forth. And this is a stu- they did a study of various religious uh, people. They call them churched people. And what they found is this, that three of five divorces cite pornography as the major factor. That one jumped out at me. Nine out of ten boys and six out of ten girls are exposed to pornography regularly by age 18. Two out of five church-going men admitted to watching porn several times a week. That puts it about 40%. Now this Barna group in various studies found that as high as 63% of men who attend a church service regularly view pornography regularly. And as much as 43% of the women, 43% of the women, admitted to using pornography on a regular basis, at least weekly. If those numbers taken among conservative churchgoers across the board, regardless of affiliation, church affiliation, if those numbers are anywhere near accurate, they are astounding. And what they would speak of is that we have idolatry going on in our land. And this idolatry is found on the faces, or on the pictures that are on our computers and our monitors. And people who would not dare to bow a knee to Baal will bow their knee, knee to pornography and to those things that accompany it. And that's what I want to talk with you about tonight. In the church, I go around to different places with a business that, uh, that I uh, co-founded. And as I go, whether it's in a church setting or whether it's in a community setting, the single most frequent topic that is requested of me, even for writing articles in in newspapers or in in, uh, magazines, the single most popular topic or wanted topic is the topic of pornography. Because uh, Because of betrayal of a spouse through pornography, is found in about 68% of divorces. And in those, what we find is the betrayed party will talk about how their feelings are hurt, how they have been rejected and abandoned and lonely, and how their reality is compared to a fantasy 
and they can't live up to it. They are humiliated by a mate who is enticed by a fantasy on a screen rather than the real deal with a person that they said, I will keep myself for you and you alone until death shall separate us. But the computer can often separate people in marriage. Jealousy, anger, rivalry, and all those things that go with that. We're going to talk about the betrayal piece tomorrow night. But um, um, we also find that, uh, that um, the Bible talks about this. And I go to Second Peter, the second chapter, and we're going to come back to it later. And there the Apostle Peter talks about people for whom the blackness of darkness is reserved. And one of those in that category, he says, people who have eyes full of adultery and who cannot cease from sin. That's a scary passage to me. And what that basically says is, you can get so caught up in this that it becomes a rewiring of your mind, your brain, your life to where you can't find your way back or choose not to find your way back. That's some serious stuff. And what I would hope for us is that we would come to know that whatever we start, the devil is not satisfied for us to stay where we started. 2 Timothy 3.13 Evil men and seducers, underline seducers, shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. That tells me that when we start developing appetites that are ungodly appetites, that those appetites will continue to grow to where the thing that we looked at in the beginning does not have the enticement that it did. And so we go for stronger and stronger kinds of things, such as, uh, such as uh, all kinds of perversions. Where'd you learn the facts of life? I ask that question to a lot of people. Where'd you learn about the facts of life? And a very, very small number will say, my parents had to talk with me. I'm finding parents aren't having to talk with their children most of the time. So where are you supposed to learn the facts of life? Well, someone says, well, I learned the facts of life in the shower room at school when I was in the seventh grade, maybe. And there, some of the boys were talking, and they got to comparing stories and bragging. And there I kind of heard about this for the first time. Others will tell us they learned about it from the Internet. Some will tell us they learned about it from reading a book or uh, some kind of salacious literature of some sort. But I asked the question, where did you learn about the facts of life? When I realized what God has done, everything He has made in the beginning, at the end of everything He made, He said it's good. Sexuality in its proper realm is good. But when it's removed from its proper realm, it is bad. And we'll talk more about that as we go. But where'd you learn the facts of life? And more so, where are your children learning the facts of life? Here's a sad conclusion that I have come to 
with many people who follow God or, or claim to follow God is that, that the devil is doing a better job of teaching our families about sexual things than we are. The Bible does not purport to be a sex education manual. And yet you can hardly turn to any page in your Bible without finding some sexual themes. Anything that God has talked about that much must be important. I've had some of our brethren that would say, well, you know, there's parts of the Bible that we can't read in a public setting. Why not? Why not? You see, that which we label as dirty or secret or we're not going to talk about this in polite company, the devil is surely talking about it. And this, uh, his message is being spread all over. The simple uh, issue is that the devil is talking more about this than the church is, than God's people are. And we have to be out here, need to be out here, to keep Satan from perverting that which is good. In my counseling agendas, many times I talk to husbands and wives, and they've got some issues. And one of the issues they talk about is, uh, is their sexual issues. They go into marriage virtually unarmed, many of them. They don't understand that when you say, I do, God gives you a free pass to your sexuality. But the only person in, on earth that can satisfy you sexually is the person you're married to. Now, I said the only person. That means we don't have sex with ourselves either. And I'm going to talk more about that as well, because that goes hand in hand with pornography. Let's look at the Old Testament. Just some examples of what God has said about, uh, about the sexual union. Do you realize that capital punishment was imposed for sexual sins in the Old Testament? Let's just look at a few. The sin of incest. Leviticus 18 and a full 18 verses dedicated to the subject of incest. And what God says there is that you want to have sexual relationship with your relative, then in the Old Testament, you were worthy of death. That was the penalty in the law of Moses. Adultery, Leviticus chapter 19 uh, 20, uh, through 22. This, uh, this uh, particular uh, section talks about adultery and how you do not cheat on your mate. For any reason, you don't cheat on your mate. We look also, by the way, these PowerPoints, uh, you all can make available to whoever wants them. I'll be fine. But also we see about the, uh, the uh, crime of rape, now, the death penalties for all of these. Uh, there, if it was out in the country where nobody could hear the maiden if she cried out, then uh, there's some exceptions there for that. But if she's where she could cry out and say no and get off me or whatever she's saying, and she doesn't do that, then she's as guilty as the man. And so you may want to look there in Deuteronomy 22, starting in verse 22 and reading on. But the sin of whoredom or harlotry is also spoken against in the Bible and the death penalty imposed in those passages. Bestiality, that is a human with an animal. And that is condemned in the Scriptures 
And not only was the person that did it to be killed, but the animal that it was done with is also to be killed. That was the law of Moses. Sodomy. Uh, in Leviticus 20 and verse 12, Old Testament, the sin of sodomy was uh, the penalty for that, homosexuality if you would, that the penalty for that was death. A bride that came to her wedding without the tokens of her virginity, she was to be put to death. That was the consequence. God wanted to make it very clear under the law of Moses, this simple truth, thou shalt not commit adultery. You don't take your sexuality out of the boundaries where God put it. That's very clear from the Old Testament. Well, someone says, well, we don't live under the Old Testament. I'm glad we don't. We wouldn't have too many folks alive today. <laughs> All right? But when we go to the New Testament... We look at Matthew chapter 5. Jesus there, and we're going to look at this again in some detail. But Jesus there said in the Sermon on the Mount that we're not to look on a woman, to lust after her, that whoever has done that has already committed adultery in his own, in his own mind. Alright, now that's pretty clear. Lust is forbidden. Someone said, well, how do you avoid that? And the answer is that... We have to train our minds because I'll tell you what, people are not going to be are not going to stop dressing hoochie. Hoochie's a word. People are not going to stop posing for skin flicks. It's all too far gone for that. But if it's going to stop, we're the ones that have to stop it. And that means it stops right inside here, La Cabeza stops right inside this head by forewarning, forearming ourselves, as we're going to talk about in this presentation. I'm going to come back to Matthew 5. But in the New Testament, fornication is spoken against. The fornication is a word that is a more general word than the word adultery. Adultery is, is usually talked about in terms of married people. But fornication is a broader term. As a matter of fact, in the book of Jude, it talks about the men of Sodom who committed fornication. So there it is applied to homosexuality. But it's not just that. It is any sexual relationship outside of the bonds of marriage, outside the bonds of marriage, any of those things is called wrong, called wrong by God. Adultery is also condemned. And also we have this word lasciviousness. Now there are some other words in your Bible like evil concupiscence, if you're a King James person. And there are other words that are out here that we don't usually tie to these sins of lust. But lasciviousness is one we use a lot. It is in the list of the works of the flesh and it's also found in 1 Peter 4, where there Peter is talking about, about the, the vulgar conduct, the enticing conduct of uh, people to try to uh, titillate or get people to notice them uh, in their seductive ways. Alright, so lasciviousness can go all the way from how we dress to how we wiggle to how we look to that look on our face. Uh, it goes. It covers all those things. 
and so we have to be careful that we not be caught in this trap of lasciviousness. And by the way, there's another uh, phrase that goes with this, and such like. Because what it says is anything else that even looks, acts like that is also wrong. Galatians, the fifth chapter, such like. You know, we're too polite in our culture. The word bastard is a Bible word. It's used for illegitimate children. And unfortunately, we have let people that want to cuss or talk vulgar, we kind of let them have that word. But you know, that's not, I don't think they ought to have that word. In fact, there's a lot of people have taken uh, good words and made them, made them something that they weren't intended to be. One of those is the word gay. I'll tell you what, gay people are everything but gay. I like that word. Remember the gay 90s? Hopefully you don't, because that was in the last century, actually two centuries ago. But this term, what does this mean in Hebrews 12 and verse 8, when it talks this whole concept of an illegitimate child, and there he says that God consequences us, he disciplines us, he says, else were you bastards or illegitimate children. And what is he saying there? He's saying that children that are born out of wedlock are viewed different than those born in wedlock. And that's the norm. But in our culture, we have drifted so far that we have taken that word and now we call it baby mama. But that's not what God called it. Whoremongers is another word. 1 Timothy 1, 9 through 11. Uh, a whoremonger is a person that's going out uh, hunting, stalking, trying to find someone who's, who's immoral. If you want to read about that, you can go to Proverbs, the third chapter and also the fifth chapter, and there it's spelled out in detail uh, about this young guy that's going down the street looking for a seductive woman. And there, by the way, with lasciviousness, it talks about how she had on the attire of a harlot. Ask a young lady the other day that was dressing all uh, provocative, a uh, member of the church, I asked her, uh, I showed her that passage, and, and she said, uh, I asked her, I said, well, what would you have to do, what would you wear to have on the attire of a harlot? And she described it, and I asked her to look in the mirror, because she was kind of dressed that way. She has stood self-condemned. Sodomy is also talked about in the book of Romans, uh, the first chapter and a couple sections of verses. Christians are told to flee fornication in 1 Corinthians 6. And then a passage we're going to look at in some detail later uh, this, this uh, evening is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 3 through 8, that says, God has given you your sexuality and you are supposed to possess that part of you that makes you a male or a female, you're supposed to possess that in honor. That's part of our sanctification. We'll look at that. Well, let me get kind of in people's heads here. One of the problems with pornography is not about the pornography itself. That's a big enough problem. We'll talk about that. But one of the problems with pornography is that Couples who are married, and I'm talking about married, that married couples often are very infrequent with their sexuality. In my line of work, 
I get a lot of detail about people's private lives. And I just want to share a little bit of that with you. Some of the folks that have been brought, and the wife or, or, or the husband, is all upset because they found their maid out here on the Internet. By the way, the women tend to go more to the chat rooms, and the men tend to go more to the pictures and movies. Uh, that's not totally, totally absolute, but that's the tendency. And there's a reason for that. Women tend to gravitate more to relationship. And men tend to gravitate more toward visual stimulation. Well, what's the frequency of sexual relationships? I hear it all the time. A couple the other day told me it had been three years since they'd been intimate, since they'd been sexual with one another. That's a long time. That's not what they signed up for. Well, sometimes there's physical roadblocks, and someone has maybe some physical thing that prohibits them from being fully sexually active, and that's not who I'm talking about right now. But here's some statements. One gentleman said, well, if, we're, if we have relations four times a year, I've been really lucky that year. Another one said once a year. Another one said, well, never anymore. Someone said once every six months. Um, and then others um, say, well, two to three times a week, uh, except during the menstrual cycle. Well, that's kind of interesting. Couples need to evaluate what, what is your frequency. Now, that's important. Write this verse down if you're taking notes. Because 1 Corinthians 7, we're going to look at tomorrow especially, 1 Corinthians 7 says that a husband's desire is to be to his wife, and the wife's is to be to her husband, and he says, don't defraud each other. That means don't say no. Except it be by consent, that's a mutual consent, for a season. So that's not intended to be lifelong, but there's some special circumstance that we need to abstain from this right now because we need to deal with something else so we can give ourselves to fasting and prayer that Satan tempt us not through our incontinency. In other words, because we're not sexually active, but we are sexual people, and when we see something out here that can be, uh, can be tempting to us, we might be more, uh, more easily seduced during those, time, during those long periods of time when we haven't been sexually active. And that's what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 7. And I, w- I would suggest that uh, a lot more study needs to be on that. By the way, in that passage, um, what it says is that Satan is going to tempt us, and especially is he going to tempt us, if we don't have frequency with one another, the husband and the wife, that passage says, both are to have desire for each other. And then he, he, uh, he goes on with, uh, with the thing of temptation, that Satan doesn't tempt you through your incontinency. Now, all this has a lot to do with pornography, and I'll pull it together in just a second here. What does God say about this? We've looked at things like the works of the flesh. He talks about people who have become perverted, and they don't have natural affection, when the usual channel for sexual expression in marriage, husband and wife, when that is blocked, then that's where deviant behavior comes in. 
without natural affection, looking to lust, eyes full of adultery, and then we've already looked at evil men and seducers, and Peter also talked about those who entice or seduce unsteadfast souls. And you know what that means in that context? He's talking about church members who may be kind of weak and hear someone exploits church members. That's wrong. That's wrong. That's, that's almost double wrong. Job said, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look upon a maiden. Now, saying all of that, that's the Bible background for what I'm going to talk about now. There are ten types of internet-related sexual addictions. By the way, before I talk about these, let me say this. If you go to a worldly counselor, someone who is not a Christian, and you tell them there's a pornography problem in your marriage, they are going to tell you that pornography is not a mental illness. It's not in the diagnostic manual. They're right, it's not in the manual. But they're wrong that people don't get good and sick with it. Fantasy sex. That has to do with looking at a thing, um, whether it be a still picture, whether it be a movie, whether it be a trailer, whether it be uh, a chat room where you're telling someone how to act or what to do, um, uh, or, or even more than that. Fantasy sex. Fulfill my fantasy. And that's why some people will, uh, will go to the pornography. The seductive role. That is, that we need someone to play that role. I want to seduce someone else, or they need to seduce me. Voyeuristic sex. By the way, all pornography is about voyeurism. We used to call that peeping toms. And now what we do is we get in the privacy of our home, and we peep it in other people's bedrooms, and we have become a generation of peeping toms. Intrusive sex. I'm not going to explain all these. Exhibitionism, that is, uh, people uh, want the shock effect. Go out in public and try to uh, show, show yourself sexually. Sex trading, and that goes on. Actually, that goes off the screen. That's a good part of what human trafficking is about. By the way, Kansas is the hub for human trafficking, and the human traffickers have figured a way that they can advertise locally and, uh, and pull people away, and it is a booming business. It is more booming than dr- the drug market, and that's booming. But this sexual trading, as a matter of fact, sometimes the trading will go as far as to uh, that you have sleep buddies, or you got someone that, uh, that uh, is a friend with benefits, and a lot of that's going on. Uh, the uh, the other piece there is the sexting on our cell phones where people take a picture of themselves and send it to somebody. And often that's used as, if you really love me, you'll send me a picture. You'd be amazed at how many young people in the church have been talked into doing that. And unfortunately, um, those pictures don't go away. Unless you're out on something like Snapchat or, uh, or Kicks uh, or some of these other... Uh, sites and new st- sites coming up every day. On those sites, you see it, you respond to it, and it erases itself. There's no end to what Satan's got going out there. 
paying for sex or prostitution, pain exchange where we want to hurt somebody, uh, sadomasochism kind of stuff, and then exploitive sex where we want to kidnap someone or hold someone um, um, uh, in criminal confinement in order to force ourselves upon them. Those are the ten basic types. Patrick Carnes, by the way, is one of the big names in sexual addictions. Um, and you'll see his, his work very frequently. Out of the Shadows, Beyond the Shadows. Uh, he's got a whole bunch of books about the shadows. Uh, and this material is designed to help those that have the pornography addiction to kind of go back and to look at uh, how to, what's going on and how to correct this. Internet pornography. Um, when, uh, when we uh, talk about the Internet, we find people that are caught up. Uh, the criteria for this would be viewing it for longer periods of time than intended. Um, unsuccessful attempts to stop or quit. So we get caught up in it. We're viewing it for longer than intended. We are not able to stop or we stop for a while and then we're right back at it. Uh, withdrawal symptoms such as being irritable or real cranky when we don't get to, uh, to, uh, to view our porn. Um, escalating sexual behaviors uh, that sometimes are higher and more intense. And sometimes those are acted out with the marriage partner. Family and friends being deceived. In other words, lying uh, or deceiving. Oh, I don't know how that got on there. Well, oh, I must have a virus or something. No, no, no. Oh, my. The stories people tell to hide their secret sins only make them sicker. We've coined an expression that says, you're only as sick as the secrets you keep. Sometimes people go online, they commit illegal activities online. And by the way, there are monitoring police out there that are checking to see who's going to different sites. And some of those, they'll come knock on your door and arrest you. You don't believe that? Ask a gentleman named Jared, uh, who used to sell sandwiches um, on a commercial. Um, but Jeffrey, there are people, uh, some in the church, who have lost their job, or they've lost their relationship in their marriage, uh, or uh, or uh, kicked out of kicked out of some activity that they really wanted because they got caught with the pornography. Many companies have a zero tolerance for viewing pornography. Um, now, why do people do it then? Why would people want to do this? Well, justifying uh, self, uh, sex with yourself or lust, someone say, well, it's, that's just about me. All guys do this. Wrong. But some will justify it. And we're going to look at that in Matthew 5 in just a moment. Let me say this, that much of pornography is not about the viewing of pornography. That sounds strange, doesn't it? The reasons people go to pornography are often because they have learned a sexual way to satisfy a non-sexual need. Here's what I mean by that. Someone says, I just need to be affirmed. I need someone to tell me that I'm appreciated, that I'm loved. I need to be touched. I need to be 
and the, the list goes on. It's about seven basic needs. But what's happened when individuals have come into this thing with pornography is they have learned to satisfy normal needs in a sexual way. And when they have those needs, they go to their pornography because that's what they've been doing. Now let me back up just a little bit. We've talked about married people. Let me talk about, about people who are not married. Because pornography often, uh, viewing a porn often starts along about the age of puberty, if not a little bit before. Actually, the third grade is the uh, time reported when the uh, average person views their first porn. That's scary. But by the time we're in puberty, now we've got these sexual needs. We don't have someone talking to us about what these, how to deal with these in a godly way. These are pretty strong needs or desires. What's going on with me? And these are strong, and no one's talking to us on the good side, or few people are, and Satan's talking to us on the other side, and here we go. Now we start getting caught up in something. Here's what happens. When we start pornography, what we do is we start a process that trains our brain to release certain chemicals in a certain sequence. And over time, if we repeat that behavior over and over and over and over again, what we have done is we have trained our brain to be satisfied with the fantasy. And along comes some cute guy or some beautiful young thing, and we decide I'm going to get married and then this won't ever be a problem again. Wrong. People fall into the devil's trap that when they've trained their brain, tapped into a piece called your amygdala in your midbrain, when they've tapped into that and they have trained their brain to function a certain way, you've got to really work to untrain it. And here's what that means in simple terms. Is that all this process of those formative years all the way up to marriage, if people have been doing this, they have trained their brain to be satisfied with the fantasy and the reality becomes disappointing. There is no woman or no man that can compete with a fantasy. None. Which means if we have fed our mind on that, we get caught in our own trap. And now... Satisfaction in infidelity in marriage can be a real problem. Now, there's some ways we'll talk about tomorrow night about how to deal with that, so you won't come back for that. But people say, well, it doesn't hurt anybody. It doesn't even hurt me. Really? Well, it helps get me ready for marital sex. Well, it's not real life. It's just fantasy. I'm just messing around. Um, I can stop whenever I want to. Well, there's no real consequences. Uh, it's just like playing a virtual reality game. People use all kinds of excuses. But the reality is, God still says it's wrong, it is sinful to look to lust. It is sinful to take our sexuality outside of marriage. 
I would challenge anyone to show me a passage that shows sexuality outside of marriage is okay and endorsed by God. I would love to see that passage if it's out there. But you also know that viewing pornography releases the same chemical combinations into our brain that are released when heroin and cocaine are introduced to our system. Now, I didn't say pornography is heroin and cocaine, but it goes to the same process as the chemistry is changed in the brain as a person introduces this, uh, this pornography. That's what makes it addictive. Just like heroin and cocaine are addictive. This is what releases uh, in the brain. Consistent exposure to pornography can rewire your brain. I've said that a few times, but here's some research uh, that actually that was their finding. Patient, uh, patients with cyber sex or online pornography addiction report a level of stimulation that is difficult for them to replicate in real life with real people. In other words, it's more intense than with a real person. So if I want a real intense relationship, I go to the pornography rather than to my marriage partner. By the way, a study of youth between the ages of 10 and 17 concluded that there is a significant relationship between frequent porn use and feelings of loneliness and major depression, and I would add in there suicidality. There's a major connection, and a big piece of that is about the loneliness and the boredom that is there. All right, I want to skip through some of this. This is the cycle of addiction. And when people start out in their pornography, it is just like getting caught in a revolving door. So here we have the, uh, whatever the trigger is. We have tension, we have cravings, we're bored, we're stressed, whatever. And so we start thinking about turning to pornography. And then it's like, well, whatever this is, is bugging me. I really need to take a break from it. And so we go and uh, try to repress that, that pain. But what we find out is that we need self-medication. And pornography will do that for us, self-medicate. In other words, while I am focused on the pornography and for the stimulation that, uh, that goes with that by myself or ourselves, uh, when we do that, then what we are doing is we are finding something to appease that which is bothering us. So if I'm real angry today, I've had a bad day at work, or you've had a bad day at work, we'll go out here and we'll view this, and afterwards we feel good. That's self-medication. Or we may feel real guilty as well as feel good. The fantasy, the hunt, we get on here and start hunting around for some object. Uh, and then we connect. And then ultimately we go through that cycle and then we get, we get out here where we have uh, satisfied ourselves with our porn. And then we feel guilty. And then we make promises. I'm not going to do that. I've got to get this under control. I'm going to quit and then here comes the craving and the triggers again because we have trained our brain to be in this revolving door cycle. Sexual addiction is, makes us ambivalent. 
because it is both pleasurable and is also very destructive. We want to avoid the destruction, but we're chasing the, the pleasure. We call that the pleasure principle. Sexual addiction is pleasurable, but in time it takes over the mind's neurotransmitters. Some of this I'm going to skip through. It's pretty technical. 86% of convicted rapists confess to, to their regular exposure to pornography prior to committing their rape. In other words, what they, what they said is the ideas for my rape I found from the, from the screen. 57% of convicted rapists tried to reenact the pornographic plays or images in their mind. 51% of male students exposed to violent pornography indicated the likelihood they would rape a woman. I'm going to move through some of this other um, pretty quickly. Let's look at the spiritual impact on all this. God intends the sexual expression to be only in the marriage relationship. We've said that several times. It's not to be a selfish act. It's just for me so I feel good. It's something that has mutual benefit to it. That's called intimacy. Intimacy is another word that people have messed up. Because intimacy is used most times today to mean sex. And it couldn't be any further from that. Sexual expression is a result of intimacy. It's not intimacy itself. 960 times in your Old Testament, the Hebrew word yada is mentioned. That's the word for intimacy. 914 of those times is talking about being intimate with God. Well, I would hope none of us would be so perverted we would think about having sex with God. He's talking there not about sexuality, but he is talking about a close, tight bond. Now, that's also the word that's used in the marriage relationship. That we are bound together in our, in our, in our intimacy. We have become one. Now, guys, some of us are as dumb as rocks. You women can quote me on that. But wait till I get out of town. We don't get it. We think we can come home, and because we're feeling, feeling a little peppy, a little froggy, that we can grab the wife and run back to the bedroom. And she may not be anywhere near ready for something like that. Intimacy begins long before the bedroom. It is about creating an environment where the woman feels loved, nurtured, needed, honored. You recognize these Bible expressions? And loved like Christ loved the church. That's intimacy. 
And that should be in our relationships. Let's talk about what goes with this, which is, I'm going to call this self-stimulation. There's another word for that, you know. But we'll just use this, I'll use this nicer word. Self-stimulation. We as Christians need to do some study on our bodies. There's a whole bunch of material on that. But for right now, Romans 12, 1 and 2, says that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. And then he goes on and says, we're to glorify God in our body and our spirit, which are His. What does that mean? That means that how we use this house for the soul has something to do with our eternity. Has something to do with how we glorify God. Onan, in Genesis 38, decided to spill his seed on the ground. You can read about him. I want to suggest that self-stimulation is a way of devaluing the seed of life. That's how you make children. And for us to self-stimulate and spill that seed is a way of devaluing that seed of life. I want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 3 through 6. I'm aware of the time. We're going to have to wrap this up pretty close here. Look at this. For this is the will of God. Don't miss that. Whatever he says here, this is the will of God, even your sanctification. This is what's going to set you apart. It's God's will. What is that? That you abstain from fornication. In other words, keep your sexuality where God put it. That each one of you knows how to possess himself of his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Now, what is your own vessel? Paul was nice there. And what he's talking about is the parts of your body that make you a female or the parts of your body that make you a male, and you are to possess those in honor, and that is part of your sanctification, and that's part of the will of God. Is that what that says? That's what you're supposed to do. Here's what you're not supposed to do. Not in the passion of lust. Does that describe pornography, among other things? Yeah. Not out here just seeing who can make us all hot and bothered. Not getting out here finding somebody to lust after. Not in the passion of lust. Who does that? The Gentiles who don't know God. People who do know God don't act that way. They honor the will of God, which is possessing ourselves in honor. And then he says that no man transgress and wrong his brother in the matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we forewarned you. If I ever heard a threat, that's a threat. 
If you abuse yourself, your sexuality, God is the avenger. And what you have started will come back to haunt you and to destroy you and your relationship, your marriage. Don't do it. That's a pretty strong passage. Another one. Flee fornication. Every sin a man does is without the body, but he that commits fornication sins against his own body. Not only are we sinning against God, not only are we sinning in a, in a marriage relationship, we step out into this porn world, but we're also sinning against our own body. I'm going to talk more about that tomorrow night. Now I want you to look at Matthew 5 just a moment, and I'm going to wrap up here. But in Matthew 5, you recognize that as the Sermon on the Mount. Now in verse 27, it says, Don't look on a woman to lust after her. And then a few verses later, down in verse 32, he talks about divorce and remarriage for unfaithfulness. If I understand a context, that's a sexual context. All the way from don't be looking at people you're not supposed to look at to don't cheat on your mate. But there's something in the middle. Do you see what's in the middle? If your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. You'd be better to enter eternity with one eye and one hand than to lose your entire self in hell. Is that there? Is that right in the middle of those? I have to ask, what's the context? I don't know that I can say conclusively that Jesus was only talking about masturbation or those kind of things in this passage. But I think He included them. It's inclusive. Well, we're doing porn. What are we using our eyes for? We're looking at the screen. If your eye offends you, you take whatever measures you have to not to have your eyes out of control. That's what that passage says. Well, in pornography, what do you use your hands for? Besides the click of a mouse, people use them to stimulate themselves. If your hand offends you, what are you supposed to do? Cut it off. Now, don't go cut your hands off and poke your eyes out. Jesus is saying here, you need to go to whatever extreme you have to, to where that's not a problem for you. I have advised more than one person, you need to get rid of your computer at least for a while. Because you can't control it, it controls you. And you need to get rid of it for a while. You may not be that far along if that's an issue for you or for someone in your family. But we need to take whatever measures are necessary, and that's what that passage says. If that isn't the context, please be my friend and tell me what the context is. Sexuality and spirituality are inseparable. Paul said in Ephesians 5, talking about husband and wife and their relationship, 
He says, this is a great mystery, but I speak regarding Christ and the church. There's a whole section in here on what is intimacy. If you want to read a book, one of the best books on this, from a kind of a Bible perspective, is a book by a lady named Julie Slattery, S-L-A-T-T-E-R-Y, published by Moody, I think. And it's called 25 Questions About Sex That You're Afraid to Ask. And she covers this whole thing of intimacy and about sexuality in marriage as God has ordained it. It's a very, very good book. It's not, not, not difficult to read. By the way, when people, there's chemistry that is released uh, as we, there's chemistry that is released every time that we self-stimulate. Now, hear me very clearly. No one has ever died from lack of sex. That's not on anybody's death certificate. People can live without sex. In marriage, if that's your if that's what you want to do, you better be sure that that's okay with your mate too. Do you ever read a passage that said some make themselves eunuchs for the kingdom's sake? What does that mean? What that means is some people are non-sexual for the kingdom's sake. I think that's an important verse, don't you? Not a sin to be tempted. But it is a sin to dwell on that and get caught up in it. Temptation becomes sin when we dwell on it and act on it. And then finally this evening, as you can see, there's so much more. Uh, By the way, a lot of this is on, on the website I won't take a cheap shot here. Leavingthepit.com, you're going to find hours of material like this tonight on this subject. All right, resources, things you can go to outside the church. I just mentioned one. There's a group called Faithful and True. That's up in Minneapolis. And sometimes people need a very focused two-and-a-half, three-day session to really dig down on these problems. Because what has hold on folks with pornography, you're not just going to be able to say, oh, I quit that. It's not that easy. You're going to need a little help. You're going to need a lot of encouragement. So you're going to slip back into it. Faithfulandtrue.com would be that one. Pine Grove is where Patrick Carnes is. There's a lot of good material out here on these particular sites. Covenant Eyes is another one. Covenant Eyes basically is a monitoring service, and they will work with those that identify they have the issue, uh, and, uh, and you have whole bunches of agreements and so forth. There are support groups that are out here in the secular world, and these are resources that leaders need to be aware of as well. Uh, support groups. Uh, support groups sometimes are in a congregation. Uh, up where I am, uh, we have... We have several support groups uh, that are actually under the, one is particularly under the auspices of the elders. Uh, and I believe they're studying men of valor in that, and about how to keep yourself pure. And there are several young men, uh, several men in that, not all young, 
that are dealing with the problem of pornography, about fidelity in their marriage, and they come together not to commiserate, not to see who's got the best story, but to try to look for what are the solutions. Because you see, if we suffer in silence, our best thinking got us into this mess. And our best thinking will probably keep us in it. So what we need is someone else's thinking. We need the advice and the counsel of others. Some who have gone through this before. And we need that, we need that help. There's uh, some groups. SA is Sex Anonymous. Um, and actually, uh, one of the headquarters for that is out of Brentwood, Tennessee, just up the road. Um, they've got a whole bunch of material there on, uh, on stopping lust, on, um, on pornography, and how to, how to stay out of the grasp. Um, and then there's another one called SAA, Sex Addicts Anonymous. I don't, that's good for some people. I don't recommend that very strongly because they are embracing of all types of, of sexual issues, including pedophilia. Um, uh, their goal is to help people with those things. Um, but the SA is about fidelity in your marriage. Now, there's a companion group there called Essanon, like Al-Anon. This is Essanon. And Essanon is about the betrayed person and how the betrayed person has a support system uh, and a network and materials and folks you can talk to that will help you. Those are some things that can be used as, as resources. Accountability partners are also resources. And that simply means that you're probably not going to be able to get this under control by yourself. You've kept it secret all this time and hadn't got it under control. What makes you think you can do that now? So we need someone that we can be accountable to. Uh, accountability partner may sit with you. Some of these workbooks we mentioned earlier may go over those workbooks, may meet with you regularly, may talk about uh, whatever, whatever is on your mind or troubling or difficult times. Uh, if we look at therapy, we have individual and group therapy uh, as well. And there are recovery retreats like the one with Faithful and True. If you're interested in one of those, I have one of those coming up in Indianapolis uh, the 29th of this month, uh, the 28th and 29th. Um, if you're interested, in that, talk to me. Um, and then we'll have one for the women on betrayal that will be coming up as well. All right, I have gone over... Um, but uh, we didn't even cover it all. There's so much more. Thank you so much for your kind attention tonight. Well, don't do that. <laughs> Wake everybody up. Uh, let's, um, I'm going to step down here and talk to you a little bit. Um, this is unrehearsed, so I'll give you off, off the cuff. How does a young person release his or her sexual desires? Or how does a young person deal uh, with strong sexual feelings? It's a good question. 
whether you're young or old. The question that I would ask in response to this is, what's feeding those sexual feelings? So, what are you looking at? Where are you going? Who are you with? What are you seeing? What are you doing? And sometimes those feelings, the way we address those feelings is that we avoid certain people, places, and things because those actually feed an appetite that shouldn't be fed. That may mean that I don't listen to the music that my friends are listening to. It may mean that I don't watch the movies or the TV shows or whatever that others are watching. Um, So I would start there, that we need to be careful what we're sticking in our head. By the way, these aren't trash can lids, okay? And these aren't either. So we've got to be careful what we're sticking in our head. Um, I suggest something that David talked about. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And I'll tell you, one of the ways I I strongly suggest to young and, and older people is get yourself a medley of scriptures. I call them mantras that you can tell yourself. So a lot of times the the uh, the lust experience comes unexpectedly. We walk around a corner in a store and hear somebody not what they ought to be. Do I need to stand somewhere? Um, so um, um, when that happens, we need a mantra. One of the ones I suggest is they're someone's daughter. Isn't that a shame they don't have any more respect for themselves than that? You see, self-talk is important, too. What do you say to yourself when you see someone that is provocative? We live in a world where that's not going to go away. So what we have to do, like Job said, is that he had made a covenant with his eyes that he wasn't going to look on a maiden. Now, that can be very difficult. Uh, It's difficult whether you're young or old, uh, especially with some of the lack of attire that people wear these days. A lot more to say on that, but that's, I'm going to leave that one. Is the key to escaping pornography training our minds or God's grace? There's two questions. I'm going to, I'm going to answer that one. We are to train our minds. So there's no doubt about it. The Bible calls that the renewing of our minds. Okay. Um, now, train the brain. And the way we do that is with avoidance, but we also do that with, with the instead ofs. For instance, in Ephesians 4, on another subject, he said, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working it with his hands so he can have to give to those that have not. Look what he said. You used to steal stuff. You used to take people's stuff. It wasn't yours. And what you did is you went out and got a job. And then you managed your money in such a way that you were a good steward and you give to people that didn't have anything. Look what happened. You used to take people's stuff. Now you give people stuff. That's the full recovery process. That's about replacing the negative behavior 
with a positive behavior. Now, the question goes on and wants to know, is it something about God's grace? When we, God's grace is undeserved favor. Paul asks, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And then he answered his own question. God forbid. So grace is not an endorsement for sin. But grace does help us in sin. And what I mean by that is that we may go to God several times and say, Lord, I've been working on this problem. I'm just having the hardest time getting this under control. Would you forgive me? And for the Christian, God absolutely will. That's where the grace comes in. But the grace is not out there with, let's just continue in sin, let's God's grace take care of it. And Paul, Paul answered that. Uh, does prayer and fasting play a role? And I think the answer to that is yes. First Corinthians 7 is husbands and wives that need to uh, get their act together or have something particularly going on in their life. Um, it's through that fasting and prayer that they're apart from one another and then they come back together again. I th- my personal judgment on this is that in our day and age, we have an idea about prayer, but we don't have much idea about fasting. Don't hear much about that. Should, the Bible's full of that material, full of a lot of material about food in a lot of ways, but fasting's a piece of that. But I guess what I would be thinking on this is fasting and prayer. If we're dealing with something that's really got a hold on us, Paul said, but I buffet my body daily and bring it into subjection, lest after I have preached to others, I myself might be a castaway. This concept of buffeting our body, I would think, might link with prayer and fasting. And by the way, if Jesus' disciples ask him, Lord, teach us to pray, you mean you guys don't know how to pray? You were raised around Jerusalem, around the temple. You went down to synagogue all the time, and you don't, you guys don't know how to pray? But then he went on again. He said, as John taught his disciples to pray. Wait a minute. But John the Baptist had disciples. He had to teach them how to pray. Are these people that had no prayer life whatsoever? I don't think so. I think there were people who realized something was missing in their prayer life. I talked to folks sometime, and they, they said, well, I prayed about it. It didn't seem to do any good. But how long did you pray? Well, I don't know. I didn't count it. It was a minute or so. Well, that's a problem. You didn't stay down long enough. <laughs> Sometimes we need to grasp and grapple with real problems, and sometimes they take a while to, to work through. And God helps us work through those. But a quickie prayer doesn't always do it. So I believe that we do need to spend time in fasting and prayer. We would like any information regarding this topic. Uh, We help educate youth and communities in Africa. CDs and PowerPoints. The 
um, PowerPoints you're using tonight, you're welcome to have those. Um, and I'm sure the brethren here will see that you can get a copy of those uh, or print them out. And on our website at Leaving the Pit, I've been doing this since 2004, and basically everything I've got's out there. Um, so you can check that out. Um, the material by the um, Lacers, Mark and Debbie Lacer, out of Minnesota, they've got workbook after workbook on, on these topics for the men and the women, for those betrayed and those, uh, those who have the problem. And so that material is out there. But uh, whoever wrote that, if you get with me later, I'll talk with you more about that. How would you advise someone to deal with a pornographic image that they might see inadvertently, such as a pop-up or something like that? Like I said before, we can't stop our exposure to things totally. We live in the world, and that's going to that's gonna happen. In the Bible age, as... Uh, as Paul walked down the city of Athens, there was idols of all sorts. If you ever looked at those idols, some of them were very pornographic statues. You've seen some of the ancient ones with anatomy and all that stuff. But the thing is, we don't have to dwell on that. We are going to be exposed to some things. There may be a pop-up that will come along. But just because it's a thought, or just because we see an image doesn't mean that we need to dwell on it. It's when we dwell on it and let it fester that it becomes a real problem for us. Um, so fleeting things, yes, they will happen. Jesus did not say, whoever looks on a woman's committed adultery with her. But what about this somebody dressed provocative? He didn't say whoever looks at her. He said, whoever looks at her to lust. The lust is there in the person's heart. That image is captured and the person plays with that image. So what we need to do is cast that out. Okay. Remember this passage. It helps me. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. And if Jesus could tell one of his disciples, get thee hence Satan, I think we can too. Sometimes I talk to the devil. Do you? I'm told to resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And so sometimes I say, get out of here. What are you doing around here? And you might do that too. And don't go out and say, boy, that guy's crazy. He talks to the devil. Okay, put that in context. Okay, Greg. Thank you, Art Items, for all that great information. Those questions and answers I thought were particularly helpful. Appreciate that very much. Thank you all for coming. Um, our community Bible study continues tomorrow night, same time, same place. Uh, we encourage you to come back tomorrow night for even more information. This is a this is a delicate subject. There's just no doubt about it. Uh, and to those of you who might maybe have been a little put off by the fact that it was pretty explicit in ways. Just let me simply remind you that the world is very explicit. We're being exposed to explicit things continually in the world, and we've got to be equipped to deal with that. So, again, I hope, any, I hope that no one was offended by the, the plainness of speech. It's a necessary thing, I think, for us to talk about these things 
that are so much a part, a, a bad part of the, of the world we live in today. We thank you all for being here. Be careful on your way home. We hope to see you again tomorrow evening. Let's be dismissed with a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you for this time that we've had to come together to think about important things relative to our relationship with you. Help us, Father, to have pure hearts and clean hands. Help us to live in a way that you'd have us to live. Help us work to overcome the great temptations of the world that surround us. Keep us safe in our travels. Thank you for all your blessings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.